Man, what a glorious thought, this robe of flesh. I'll drop. And rise. Wonderful truth. Uh, too majestic for us to understand, even. I want to remind you once again that we are in a short series we've entitled Reset. Again, to remind you, uh, we decided to go this direction because of all the chaos of this past year. Being able to, to come through this looking towards something that resembles normal, we want to go back to the things that we know are essential in our walk with Christ, essential among the saints of the body of Christ. And so we are today continuing in, a, in the second part. I didn't intend to make it a two-parter on this one, but it just happened that way as I began to prepare. But today's uh, sermon is part two of the sermon entitled Discipling through the one another's, discipling through the one another's. And before we get back into that, I want to I put an image in your mind. I was thinking about this this week, the idea of reset. I remember this may work for some of you who are Gen Xers or maybe early millennials. Um, you remember when you had that Nintendo console and there are two big buttons on it. There was the power button and there was the reset button, Right? And, you know, your first measure of, if your game froze up, your first measure of recovery was that reset button, wasn't it? You hit that reset button, it's supposed to start over, you get a fresh start. That's the hope here today, but if you're familiar with that game, you know if the, the reset didn't work, then you had to pull the game out and blow in it. You had to blow in the bottom of the game and then put it back in. And that would be your second measure of reset for your game to work properly. Well, in some sense, that's my hope. Like this past year has showed how, how weak we are, really, in the faith. When trials and various things come our way, they show us how, hey, let me, let me hit reset, go back to the things I know well, the things I can do well in terms of spiritual life, serving one another, loving one another, maintaining the disciplines of the Christian faith, these kinds of things. And we've been walking through these things, these things strategically. The disciples' commitment, the rhythms of discipleship. And the hope is to reframe our discipleship in terms of the community, which I would argue is biblical. And as we've discussed in Romans chapter 12, which is our text for today, Romans 12, 9 through 13, Paul puts forth an argument about the normal Christian life. If you want to present your body as a living sacrifice, it's going to immediately operate in the life of the church, giftedness, service in the body of Christ. And then he turns over to the one another's. Here's what your love toward one another looks like. I want to go there. Romans 12. And we will once again read one through 13 for the context. Hear the word of the Lord. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, the test, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And now our text. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, we once again realize that we need your help. So send your spirit to illuminate the truth of your word, transform us that we may look more like Jesus as his followers and as his body, as his bride. Grow us, Father, in that way we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You recall I mentioned last week, Paul is sort of rapid firing here, and we gave a theme to this. Christ-like love creates a lifestyle of obedience for one another's good. Christ-like love creates a lifestyle of obedience for one another's good. And you recall, I offered to you the possibility of interpreting these commands all in the framework of love. You remember what Paul said to the Galatians. He says, love fulfills the law. So, in order to support that, Paul frequently gives commands. So, if we love one another, his argument basically is we're going to be patient with one another. If you go to the love chapter, you could read those statements about love in terms of commands, right? Love is patient. What does that mean? If you love someone, be patient. Love is kind. If you love someone... Be kind to them. You see how these commands are, they're, they're wrapped up in the way that we love one another. So I would argue not only does love fulfill the, the law in that way, I would say love also accomplishes the one another's that we find throughout the Bible, especially in these letters written to local churches. Love is clearly the theme and you also may recall, I told you I was going to give you four love handles from this text. 
four love handles. The first that we received is love is a verb. Love is a verb. That is love acts. And according with the text, in accordance with the text, love acts with sincerity. Love acts against evil. Love acts for good. Love acts in tenderness. Love acts without limit. So love is a verb. We need to understand that beyond a feeling, beyond some, some sort of a fuzzy feeling that you get inside, that is not love. Love acts. Ultimately, we see the act of Christ on the cross as the defining definition to be redundant of love. Love acts without limit. Uh, love fuels service. That was our second handle. Love fuels service. And the way Paul describes it here, this is a zealous, fervent service. And he has the, he has the phrase in there, the command, serve the Lord. And I want you to note, we didn't cover this last time, I want you to note how serving the Lord is very much equated with loving one another and serving one another. So by serving the body of Christ, you are serving Christ. Does that make sense? There's no act of love that you can show Christ that is not also at the same time showed to the saints. And vice versa. By showing the saints love, you are showing Christ love. Showing love to the bride for whom he died. The body made up of, up of members. Love fuels this kind of service. So the third handle we want to cover today is love looks forward. Love looks forward. In verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Three commands, and I'm going to, I'm going to put them uh, to you in lenses. You see them on the screen. Three lenses for loving one another. Love looks forward. First off here, I'll say it this way. Hopeful love maintains joy. Hopeful love maintains joy. You know, there's a, a, a hopeful expectation that looks for a desired outcome, right? A resolution to things, a good end to the story. Being a Christian, you ought to understand, like, there's a Christian hope that knows the end of the story, but the end of the story just hasn't happened yet. Christ tells us that the kingdom of God will fully be revealed in the last day when all things are settled and made right. But let me remind you that Christian hope is altogether different from worldly hope. This is a, this is a thing that we need reminding of constantly. This hope is different. Our hope is a hope that is based upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why Peter would call it a living hope, that we have been born anew, born again to a living hope. It's a sure thing. As sure as Christ rose from the dead, we will see the end of the story, the coming kingdom in perfection. See, we should have greater and more confident hope 
in the coming kingdom of Christ than we have in tomorrow's sunrise. You take it for granted because you're, you're just so sure that tomorrow the sun is going to come up. Are you that sure about the kingdom of Christ? Are you that hopeful about the kingdom of Christ? Now, how does this relate to love? I say it this way, hopeful love maintains joy. But how does this relate to love? We can have a hope. And I'm convinced that Paul, when he puts words together like this, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he is saying something on purpose. So how does this relate to love? I would say that love is not always easy. You know that. But a love that looks to the future promised by God will not lose steam. It won't peter out. It's just like Paul says to the Corinthians, love hopes all things. Those of you who are parents, you know what this is like. There's never a point in your child's life where you say, well, there's been so many bad decisions or decisions I didn't like or whatever that I am giving up hope on them. It's all over. It's never going to be better. No, we don't do that. As parents, we maintain that hope. And that hope allows us to love and love joyfully. Children, you ought to understand this too. As the recipient of this, no matter how hard you try to mess up your parents' wishes for you, you know they still love you and they want the best for you. This is how it works in the saints, among the body. Your hope for their good is never extinguished. God's work will be complete. So no matter how difficult it is to love one another, the hope of God's completed work causes us to press on in love and to do so with great joy. In the midst of the worst circumstances, our joy cannot be stripped from us. I believe this is what made the Apostle Paul such an exemplary person. He was able to fix his eyes on Jesus and labor in the kingdom and show patience to these churches that wouldn't listen to him often. Give them counsel, and he had joy amid the worst circumstances. There's conflict in the church, and Paul presses in. He gets shipwrecked. He presses in. They're not listening to his first letter, so he presses in. He never says, I'm giving up on them. He, he loves because of this hope. He loves and never loses an ounce of his joy. Hopeful love maintains joy. Secondly, the second lens right here, you see the command, be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. So I would tell you this, tested love produces endurance. Tested love produces endurance. A love that looks forward won't be overtaken by obstacles. 
but strengthened by them. A love that looks forward won't be overtaken by obstacles, but will be strengthened by them. I remember last week, I used several car, motor, whatever illustrations, and I'm going to keep that going. Uh, When I was a kid, I loved cars and trucks and dreamed about the kind of cars and trucks that I'd be driving in my adult life. And my dad used to talk about a Hummer, like a real Hummer. He used to talk about a Hummer like it was the most amazing vehicle that was ever made. I remember he, he would say every time a Hummer was brought up or we ever saw a Hummer on the road, which was very rare when I was a child, he would always say, you know, a Hummer, if three wheels are stuck, the last wheel is going to pull it out. He'd say that every time. And then I learned later on that those things can climb like 60-degree hills. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? See, when it comes to the wheel being stuck, the, the, the fourth wheel is going to have to recover. But did, did Paul say that about love? Like as long as you've got something to sort of hang on to, then you can make it over the obstacles. No, if you feel completely stuck, he says, love endures all things. If your love encounters too big of an obstacle, you can't just give up and move on. You endure all things out of love. Tested love produces endurance. So I would ask you, in terms of your application, what obstacles are challenging your love right now? Why is it hard to love that family member That church member, that neighbor, why is it so hard to love? I would ask you, don't tell me how big the obstacle is. Don't tell me how difficult your situation is or how unique it is because there's nothing new under the sun. The question is, what is the source of your love? If Jesus is your source, then you will endure in love. Saints, in love, we were predestined to adoption as God's children. Jesus overcame our offenses out of love. He endured the cross in love. Jesus bore our sorrows for love. He carried our burdens Because of love, Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin out of love. Jesus took undeserved punishment because he loves us. He endured abandonment from the Father with love. Jesus died loving us. And he now lives in order to intercede for us out of love. Jesus sends the Spirit as proof of his love. And folks, I hope that this is the promise that you can claim today, that Jesus 
receives the unlovable because his love endures all things. While we were sinners, Christ loved us with an everlasting love, an enduring love. Tested love produces endurance. Third lens, interceding love strengthens faith. Interceding love strengthens faith. You see the third command there, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. It helps us to further understand our love for one another. And I got to thinking, like, is there a passage that actually commands us to pray for one another? And yes, James 5.17 tells us to pray for one another. But in mentioning that, I want to recall Acts 2. You recall where the, the, the church devoted themselves to the fellowship of prayer. And I want to remind you what I said there. It's impossible to pray for someone and not know them well. Here's what I mean. Of course, you can pray for one another by saying things like, God bless all the church folk, amen. If that's your prayer for one another, you will never go beyond that surfacey sort of shallow understanding of your brothers and sisters in the faith. I would tell you that that is not a biblical reflection of what God calls us to in prayer. I would argue that a far more meaningful expression of love and communion with God focuses on the specifics. But if you intend to intercede for one another, then it will take you getting to know one another well. It will also take some vulnerability. That's a tough thing for folks. If if your tendency is to keep everything private, you're going to have a hard time really walking linked arms with your brothers and sisters. I would point you to practical things. Our ladies have set up a, a phone tree, phone chain. I don't know what they call it, but they call one another. I don't know if they've been doing it well lately, but they have it. There's an opportunity. Call somebody. Tell them where you need prayer. Tell them you will pray for them in specific ways and pray for those things so that you can see God answer the prayers. I would point you to discipleship groups, discipling one another. In that context, you're able to talk about those things where you need help, you need prayer. And you can see God's work through those things. If you love one another, then dig deeper in your prayers for one another. Interceding love strengthens faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Love for one another will manifest itself in meaningful intercession, burden-bearing, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. And I love how so many things in the Christian faith are reciprocal. Do you understand what I'm saying? Reciprocal. Here's another car illustration for you, okay? Alternator. You know what an alternator does? It takes the energy produced by the motor that's burning gas And it turns it into electrical power to charge your battery. 
So as the car is working, it's actually allowing itself for future work, charging itself for future work. There's so many things about the Christian faith that are like this. What what does Paul say? Quoting Jesus, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, that's upside down, Matt. It sure is. That's the Christian faith for you. As you give, you are built up. As you strengthen others, you yourself are strengthened. As you give of all your possessions, as we're about to see, you're going to see God's hand preserving and protecting you. He says, this is his will for you in Christ Jesus. Interceding love strengthens faith. I want to turn to the final handle, the final love handle this morning, and that is love offers all resources. Love offers all resources. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Love offers all resources. I want to give you a couple of practices here, practices of generosity. I would say that these are patterned after the church in Jerusalem. The ongoing practices of welcoming others into your lives, valuing one another over personal possessions. These things carry over to normal life in the church, all right? Remember, we talked about Acts 2 and said, this is, this is a, a summary of years of how the church operated. And when there was a need, they sold what they had in order to meet that need among the saints. We often view what we have as ours when in reality it belongs to the Lord. It's a tough thing to live with the mindset that we are simply stewards of what God has given us. As his stewards, we ought to have a loose grip on what he has given us. When it comes time for the need to be met, it shouldn't be a hard thing to take it out of our hands. In love for one another, generosity, as we see here, and hospitality are ours to cultivate. I was with a couple of pastors uh, these past couple of days, and we got to talking about uh, weddings and funerals. I've only done a few weddings uh, in my entire ministry, but I have done now, I believe, 31 funerals. And we got to talking about this. The other guy has done a lot of weddings and stuff like that. And he says, of all the people that, um, like when, when the pastor is time for the pastor to be compensated or whatever, he's, these guys were testifying that in almost all cases, the people who did not profess faith in Jesus Christ were actually more generous to pay the pastor. To me, that was, that was kind of mind-blowing. Now, among, among the saints here and in this community, I've been more than blessed by the responses when I have served in those kind of ways. But as a general uh, observation, it seems that Christians do struggle with generosity. We have to do better. And I think this text calls us to it. So I would tell you first, take the initiative. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. 
In the early church, poverty levels were high, which made this ministry all the more critical to the church's survival and growth. Nowadays, more often than not, pride is what prevents the church from meeting tangible needs. Here's my counsel to you. If you have a need, a tangible need, a physical need, even a spiritual need where you just need somebody to hear you and give you godly counsel, if you have a need, get over your pride and ask for help. Somebody didn't like that. Somebody's daddy told them to never ask for help, and I will tell you he was wrong. You have a need, you tell us. Get over yourself, ask for help, let us love you in that way. One thing about being dependent on other people's gifts, I have learned that if I have a need, I can ask. I can ask. I depend on you anyway. <laughs> Look, if you don't give, I don't feed my family. I depend on your gifts to the church personally. So consider how you're robbing one another of the joy of loving one another when you don't share those needs. And I would turn around. So take the initiative. If you have a need, take the initiative. But turn around. If you see a need, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Maybe you can't meet a need alone, then find someone who has the resources to meet a need. You don't know what exactly to say. Find someone who knows how to counsel well in a particular situation. In the same way we trust the Spirit to meet us in times of need, God has given the church to do the same through his people. And I think it's important to note that this word for contribute is rooted in the same word as fellowship. It's rooted in the same word as fellowship. It's almost like fellowship by meeting one another's needs. So you see, again, a reciprocal benefit. You meet the need, fellowship is strengthened. So take the initiative. Secondly, here very briefly, be available. This speaks to the hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality and I'll go straight to some application here. Since I first arrived at Cedarview, I've longed for the days when hospitality becomes a normal part of church life. But I'll, I'll be the first one to confess I'm not good at it. Some of you are probably like me. You see your home. Oh, we were talking to some folks this week, folks in the church. You see your home as a refuge. And so when you're at home, it's like, I don't want people invading my space, Right? That's kind of how I view my home. And so it is sanctifying for me when I have to give up that, that refuge mentality and say, this belongs to you as well. It's open to you. My resources are your resources. Now, hospitality can manifest itself in numerous ways, but most simply, it is opening your home, opening your home to others. So I'll give you an open invitation right now. Some of y'all, you would be uh, just totally averse to the idea of saying, hey, Brother Matt, can I come over to your house for a meal? Some of y'all would never say that, even though I'm about to ask you to do it. You're never going to do it. 
But I'm giving you an open invitation. If you want to come eat a meal with us, you are more than welcome. And given enough, enough time, each of you are going to receive an invitation to do so. Now I would look for that among all the saints. I think in that way, maybe we could see some of the Acts 2 kind of church return. They were in their homes daily, worshiping God, sharing meals daily. That was their rhythm. I would love to see that rhythm cultivated among us. In these ways, Paul gives us a summary of what it looks like to actually love one another. So as we conclude, we're going to remind you, love fulfills the law. Love accomplishes the one another's. Let's move beyond a confession of love and see a practice of love. Christ-like love creates a lifestyle of obedience for one another's good. So in response to this, this love that is derived from the truth of the gospel, this love that is fueled by the truth of the gospel, what are you ready to change for the good of your fellow saints? What are you ready to change? How can you adjust to see this love more readily practiced in your life, in your family's life, in the life of the church? I would ask some of you folks that aren't members of the church, why not take the next step in the fellowship of the saints? Why not become part of us? What obstacle keeps you from elevating your love in that way? Maybe, maybe there's someone still unsure of salvation. And I'll remind you, there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You can't take this list of commands and say, I am dedicated to loving other people enough that God accepts me. He won't. You're always tainted by your sin. You're always falling short because of your sin. But in Christ, God has made sure that you can be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ's work accomplishes our salvation. Believe on him and be saved. Follow him in the obedience of baptism and enter into the body of Christ, serving one another, loving one another. In these ways, I believe that we are truly discipling one another. It's a part of it. It's not the whole thing. But when we love one another in these ways, we're seeing the life of Christ manifest among the saints. What could be more shaping in terms of our Christ-likeness than that? Surrounded by people imitating him. It's what God has designed. Respond to the word this morning as the spirit leads. Repent, believe the gospel. Repent, be restored. Let's just respond to God's word.